Well, thank you, Donna. Tom Carlson, alcoholic. Uh, congratulations, Donna, you too on your 32 years. Uh, don't let it happen again. Um, welcome to the newcomers. Uh, this is a heck of a ride you're about to be in if you're one of us. So um, I hope uh, you know you get something out of uh, what I might have to share. Um, I like to uh, uh, start out, you know, uh, try to relax a little bit. But I want to tell you one time what ha- a story that happened to me. Um, I don't didn't ride much in taxi cabs, you know, and and I, I was coming out of this building and and uh, my gosh, a taxi cab come right up, you know, and I opened up the cab door and I go in and and the cabbie goes, um, "You're just like Frank Feldman, perfect timing." You know, whenever he needed a cab anywhere, it was always right there for him. And, and uh, he, you know, and he, he went on, and I, I said, well, everybody can't be that good. He goes, oh, no, not Frank Feldman. You know, uh, he everything. He said he could have been uh, uh, played on the PGA golf tour. He could have, you know, but his piano skills were beyond, you know, reproach. He could have filled Carnegie Hall, you know, uh, any instrument. You know, he's just there, and I go, Wow, he was quite some guy, you know. And he goes, "Oh, this Frank Feldman, he sure was. He he was really something, you know." He he said he had a mind like a computer, you know. He could remember everything. He knew exactly which fork to use when he was eating, you know. Uh, he knew how to treat women, you know. He knew how to do the right thing. He never got lost. He knew the quickest way everywhere, you know. And I he goes, you know, he just went on and on and on on this Frank Feldman and. And finally, I, you know, I said, well, wow, you know, how did you ever meet this guy? And he goes, I never did. I married his wife. <laughs> Is that how you go on that, Mike? Okay, good. There we go. Anyway, um, if we can't laugh. And, um, my birth date is August 14th, 1951. Uh, my sobriety date is August 17th, uh, 1990. Uh, I think it comes out to something like 8,612 days, but who's counting, okay? Um, I, I'd like to uh, start, you know, telling you that, um, it, you know, I had terrible parents. I had all these terrible things that were happening to me and, and uh, everything like that. But what you're going to hear is uh, I did it all myself. Uh, and I had uh, good parents, you know, I I... I I had a good uh, upbringing. I just managed to do this whole thing by myself. And um, I, I, I think where it started, you know, not so much there. I knew how to fit in in the neighborhood. You know, uh, back in the 50s when you grew up, you had neighborhoods. I'm from Michigan, and there was no fences, so we would all meet in the backyards. You know, old kids, new kids, you know, young kids, and I, we'd all meet back here. And uh, I didn't have any siblings at that time. You know, so I'm, uh, I knew how to fit in. I knew, I watched and I knew, and it was, uh, you got to learn how to play be- baseball better. You learned how to catch things better. You learned how to dodge during dodgeball. You learned how to do all those things, and you fit in, and you <coughs> didn't get picked last. And so that's, that's how I went. But see, uh, all of a sudden the games would get done, and I would go back home, and I would have no siblings. I, you know, I was by myself, I, and uh, so I, I just kind of, I never had that experience of arguing with a brother or sister, I, you know, how to get along or argue or get through things. You know, I was pretty much, uh, you know, by myself, and uh, I'd hear the kids playing again, and out I'd go. And um, 
It worked. It worked. But I found out that it seemed to be um, I was a product of the 50s. I lived on the TV screen. You know, I lived out there. Everything out on that screen, I would observe and I'd look and I would adjust to. You know, I try to fit in, I try to avoid, I try to make people laugh, happy, you know, try to win approval in that way. And that's how it went, and it went okay. You know, it really did. My father uh, back in Michigan was uh, um, a, a factory worker. Uh, he worked in a second-tier factory, not one of the big three, you know, or anything like that. Um, but he taught me how to work. He'd work two jobs, you know, and that. I, I never did uh, ever see my dad drunk. You know, on that, and uh, and he just taught me how to work. You know, he again, you work hard, you get it done. You know, you accomplish. Uh, I got involved in sports. You know, in school, uh, that's pretty much. I wasn't the sharpest uh, pencil in the in the bunch, but I wasn't the dullest either. I was kind of like right in the middle. So I, I went into sports, and uh, I, I was I was good. You know, at that I I, I had uh, uh, at that time I real I thought it was me but I realized now that God had given me some athletic ability you know I mixed it with some uh, uh, hard work and paying attention and you know and that and, and it was a good motive I think you know and things worked out well at that time and uh, so it went so it went you know so it went um, around night I graduated in 1969 and, and if you know your history at that time they had a draft and uh, uh, I had some older cousins that were uh, drafted, you know, and, and served. And uh, it was about the only time that my father had uh, ever really sat down or told me, you know, what his wishes were. And uh, it was his sister. And uh, I wasn't planning on going to to uh, a college or anything like that. I planned on just getting in one of the big three. You know, in the 60s, they were hiring like crazy and... I was going to make some good money in the big three factories, what I was going to do. Well, my number was too low. You know, my number was too low, and I was an athlete. I was, in, I was healthy. I wasn't going to be a draft dodger and go to Canada or anything like that. So the only thing I had was a student deferment. So I had to scramble real quick. My dad said, you're going to college. You're not going over there. It had messed up my cousins pretty bad. And so that's how I got to college. Um, I thought I was going to play ball there. I, you know, I had some scholarship offers. But what happened was this. I was 17 when I got out of high school. And uh, I, got, I had to work construction. I couldn't go in a factory. I had to be 18. And so I worked construction. And uh, we drank beer. We drank beer at the end of the week. You know, we worked hard. And Friday night, you know, he would bring it in. And here I am, 17, well... My birthday's in August. So, yeah, it's June, July. I'm 17, and I'm sitting up there drinking beer with these guys, and, man, I thought I had arrived. Early, I don't have to go to the bar. I thought, right here I am. This is part, this is part of manhood, you know, right there. And, and it gave, it. you know, I was 10 feet, I, well, I don't know if I was that, but it really, I, it, the effects of alcohol hit me right away. I'll give you an example. I used to date this girl, and I had a Volkswagen with a sunroof. I'd have a couple of beers, you know, or whatever after work, and I had the effect hit me right away, and I would be so excited and so full of vim and vinegar. I'd have that sunroof open, and I'd be standing up with my head up up there, and I'd be down there, driving like hell to go out there to, you know, to 
you know what men do with or young guys do with uh, girls, you know, at that time. <laughs> so the effect was right away, you know, and I liked it. You know, but it didn't come on right away because I was playing ball, you know, and stuff. So it wasn't like, oh, boy, I better get back at that. Um, but you know what? It affected my eye-hand coordination right away. I didn't, uh, I went out for, I went to school in Ohio, uh, Bowling Green. And um, so I tried, you know, I didn't know, I thought they played uh, baseball in the spring. Well, those son of a guns had practice in the fall and in the winter. So I'm over there and I wasn't falling down drunk or anything like that, but I was just missing the ball by a little bit. I get like uh, 11 12s, 15 17 and it, you know it, that that made a big difference. Instead of going over or like a rocket past the second baseman, it was fielded. It would end up on the warning track. And um, at that time, uh, uh, the other thing it didn't go very well, not being the sharpest pencil in the, you know in the bunch, uh, I didn't know how to study. I didn't know how to study, and I almost well I got put on probation. You know I'm, you know I'm, I'm flunking out. So at that point. Not making the team and flunking out, I don't know what happened. I, I don't recall because I didn't know I was going to be here to tell you about this part. But something happened where I went and changed from liberal arts, because I was the first male to go to college. I thought you got to be a lawyer or doctor, don't you? I mean, you're your first male to go to college. You better be a, somebody important. That's why you go to college. And uh, I was flunking out, and um, the person said, well, who had the most influences on you? And I said, coaches. He said, you need to go into the field of education. And so I did. So I did. And um, you know, the, you're going to hear a lot of footprints in this. You know, the, the poem or the prayer or whatever on that thing, footprints. Um, Bowling Green had an outstanding, an outstanding education department, and I wasn't on campus because not only did I not make the, the baseball team, I made the all-party team. You know, Ohio was eight. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I tried everything. You know, the 60s, you know, early 70s, you know, Kent State from Ohio, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to bore you with the details there. If you know your history, you know what the hell was going on. And uh, I, I just uh, went, went crazy. You know, I mean, 180 degrees the other way. That was it. Hair growing. I mean, I did have hair, actually, you know, at that time. Uh, I don't know about you, Mike, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, you know, and the whole nine yards. It must have just floored my parents coming home with that and just being defiant and, and those types of things, you know. And I didn't know that, uh, I didn't know the effect it was going to have me. I was a blackout drinker. I started blacking out early. You know, and I just thought I didn't have the mixture. I was a late, you know, this thing just took practice. You know, I, I just, you know, that was it, to, you know, practice, you know, on that. So I didn't know uh, the things that were going on, you know, at that time. Um, I know I suffered from big shot-itis, and I know I, I, I love the effects of alcohol. And that's what I read in the literature about me, you know, and I found a lot about myself in there. So... I get done with, uh, it, it, and I'm, like I said, Bowling Green has this outstanding education program. In the last two years, I'm not hardly on campus for 8, 10, 12 hours a day. I'm up in the schools of Toledo. 
you know, and, and, and my dad taught me how to work. And, you know, it, it describes us in the book. You know, we're pretty decent people and pretty, you know, good, you know, you know not just decent people, but we can produce and we can do good jobs it, except for alcohol. But, boy, when I came back home, I had two sets of friends, two sets of friends. You know, and, and I, I was able to, I guess, probably slow down that a little bit. You know, slow down that progression. Graduated, and uh, I was too big for this little small town in Michigan called Adrian, Michigan. You know, uh, I'm a college grad now. I'm going to get out of there. You know, and we traveled out west and ended up in Phoenix. Um, I didn't have any skills. I drove a school bus. You know, school had already started by the time we got out here. Needed to make some money. Um, and I drove out at Deer Valley, out on 17 towards Deer Valley Road out there. And um, started continued to party. I'd lose my car. You know, the guys went back, but I was too proud. I'm not going to go back to that little tiny town with my tail between my legs. I'm going to stay out here. And so I, uh, I stayed. And uh, I'd black out in this big city, and I'd get up, you know, and I don't know how I made it back to my apartment. And I'd go out to go get something to eat, and the car wouldn't be there. You know, and i go, oh, my goodness. You know, but I found out a way. You know, I'm pretty ingenious in that manner. You know, I call up. I told the police I had a fight with my girlfriend, and she stole the keys and stole my car. And they'd find it at a, a village inn. They'd find it at, a, you know, the pancake house, waffle house. I must have went in there during the night. And it was hard. I got kind of sick and tired of that scene because, you know, I don't know if you drank before you went to bars. I thought I'd save money that way. Well, I'm glad somebody did. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I, uh, I drink uh, there, and you've heard it. You know, it's nothing new. I overshot the mark most of the time. And, you know, it's tough picking up beautiful girls out here in Phoenix when you can't talk, you know, and you're slurring, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, I was getting ready, and, and anyway, I got a, I got a job. I, I was just, I'm just about ready to throw the, the towel in. And uh, I got a job with a place called Arizona Automotive Institute up on Glendale, you know, and uh, they hired me there, you know, and I went to work there as a counselor. And all it was is really to keep the kids in school, you know, and I was younger at that time. I was only 24 or something like that. I'd just gotten out of school and I'd been out here. And so he kept me on and, and uh, I worked there. And, of course, um, that's where I uh, took my, uh, the lady that was going to be my wife hostage. You know, uh, she was a secretary at the school, and uh, uh, we weren't supposed to uh, do any inter-employee uh, relationships. And, of course, uh, that didn't mean nothing, you know, at all that. And, and I was this, she told me later on, I was uh, this, uh, I was the knight in shining armor. Mm-hmm. You know, like, anyway. And uh, so, you know, I, I, you know, I married her. You know, I married her and took her hostage. That's what I did with all the women. I, I didn't know anything, you know, about relationships. Boy, I just took you and, you know, wrapped you up and you were mine. You know, that kind of stuff. So no wonder, you know, you were lucky to get out of my grasp. You know, and then you made me mad and broke my heart. But, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. Um, I tried to hide the, the drinking and stuff from my wife, you know, on that. Because I, not... Uh, I had a, not before marriage, 
I'd drop her off, and I had another girl on the side. I, I thought I was just going with her, you know, and, and that. Uh, I, I did not do that after the early part of marriage, you know, on that. But uh, I got a teaching job, Peoria School District, you know, and everything, you know, came from the outside. I'll share with you this one thing, how I got my, my job there. Uh, we moved into this townhouse. She had these two little ankle biter dogs, you know, and I was supposed to go uh, back and uh, uh, let the dogs out because I was on a swing shift, you know, uh, down at Arizona Automotive Institute. And I was on a swing shift, and uh, I went out there, and the dang dogs, it, it just, I did not let them out on purpose or anything. I, they dug underneath, and they got out. I thought, oh, my God. You know, this is oh, she, she's not going to marry me now. This is, this is it. And uh, we never found them. But uh, the school was, there was a school. Kachina Elementary was right across the street. And I said, honey, I know how schools work. Let me, you know, let's type up a thing about missing dogs. There's got to be some kids in this townhouse. I'll go over and give it to the principal. They'll announce it in, in the classrooms. And I went over there, and I uh, met the principal, you know, gave him the thing. We later nothing I just I was in the split you know on a split shift again I went over to follow up and and he said um, I just wanted to thank him and I said how do you get a job here and he said uh, well you got to apply and I had already done that with Peoria I just wanted to make connections with him well that was the year or the time when when you put your application in you had to have a picture in it. well hell, you can't do that now so I have a picture in it so I'm at uh, Fast forward, and I get this phone call at Arizona Automotive, and it's the HR department of uh, Peoria, and they said, would you like to teach sixth grade? The principal at Kachina would like to give you a sixth grade teaching position. And I went to him, and I go, how did you know, I, I, I just met him that day. I never went in for an interview. He said there were 75 applications. And he said, I looked through them. And he said, yours was the only picture I recognized. So that's how I got my first job. First job. We left Arizona when my children were born. You know, I went back to uh, uh, Michigan, you know, and raised them. I got a job back there, uh, you know, through, a, again, very similar circumstances. Uh, and I, I would drink. I was a reward drinker. You know, my dad taught me how to how to work, and I would really just say it was none of your dang business on the weekends. You know, none of your dang business. You know, and so I would just pile drive it on Friday and Saturday and, you know, pull up on there. And I think, Donna, it was around your, when you came in the program, about, about 82, 88, right there, I think that was my first drunk driving. And I got it in the summer. You know, uh, on it, yeah. And, um... Right around in there, right after, you know, we got back in there. And uh, it was right on my birthday. That's the only time I went into bar. No, but you know what happened? I would go to bar then. And i black out. And I never, I had four of them. I had four of them. And I never got pulled over for weaving. I was always in an incapacitated wreck. This first one, I had a 67 Chevy. And I, I, I come to... And I'm out, and the Chevy's down in a ditch. You know, and there's these sheriffs around, and, I, and they're going, what in the hell happened? Because I had just plowed over all sorts of signs, you know, and stuff to get down into that ditch, you know. And, uh, and I went, he goes, what the hell happened? I looked, I go, I had a flat tire. And the back tire was flat. 
I mean, I could pick up that booger just like that. And um, they did, it, that was fine. You know, one guy said, well, you know, because uh, my brother had showed up. And uh, he, uh, he said, uh, you can, one of them said, why don't you go home with your brother? The other says, no, he's coming with us. But they, you know, they did that kind of stuff. You know, you know, then I went to a driving school, actually. You know, I didn't even have to go to AA 82, I don't think. So that's what happened. And uh, progressed. Progressed. Um, you know, all of a sudden, uh, not all of a sudden, you know, it progressed to a point where it wasn't just the weekends. You know, it wasn't the weekends at all. And um, I, um, I got, um, I'll give you one here. I, um, I lost my license, you know, as this thing keeps going on, you know, the penalties get more. And, and I lost my license and, um, for a year. And I knew all the judges, and I knew all the probation officers in Adrian. I mean, I had them. You know, I had them as I had their kids. You know, I, I've had. I sat down across from it at parent-teacher conferences. You know, and uh, but I, you know, it went too far. You know, and I and I lost them for. I mean, I lost them for a year, and uh, had to spend some time in jail. But again, even then, it was given to me where all I had to do was show up Friday night. And I could leave Saturday, and I got credit for the whole weekend. Yeah. And uh, not the lesson of gratitude did I learn there. You know, I, I didn't know the upside-down thinking I had already established in my head, you know, with this alcohol. Um, I had stopped doing the other substances then because I, as a teacher, this great brain said, you'd probably be okay with drunk driving, but I don't think uh, you'll be okay with possession. So uh, I'm drinking but I knew where I could go if I wanted, you know, you know, on it. But uh, so here I am in Michigan, and I'm riding a bike in the winter snow. I'm teaching at a middle school at the time, and I'm riding a bike down there, and these people are going, what are you riding a bike for? And I said, exercise. I'm doing my, car, my cardio. <laughs> and that's what I was doing. Ah. Uh, I was a lecturer at a church, and I would drink Riuniti before, you know, at the cemetery and go do the lecturing. And as soon as the preacher and the priest and the guys would go to the front, you know, I'd go to the refrigerator, you know, and wonder if I had slurred too many words. But that, that wasn't it. Enough of, enough of that. You know, the, the drunk logs are, are, you know, it just is, I, I'm sorry it took so long on that. What really happened, though, and I would like to share with you, Steve, uh, what happened and where alcohol had taken me. My wife, uh, I always drank in cars. So my wife thought, you know, if I put the two boys, I have two boys now, oh, at the time. If I put uh, these two boys in the car, he ain't going to drink. She didn't know the depth of the disease. She did not know. Um, I didn't black out every time, you know, uh, that I drank and I, all that type of stuff. But um, I, um, I had messed with it. You know, I was drinking, and, and you know, everything was kind of, you know, nobody was saying anything. Well, I had planned this drunk that I had for a whole week, this one coming up. I was a good boy. I was tired of this restraint on me, and I had planned it from Friday. I was going to go to Ann Arbor, Michigan. There was a basketball game. This was in the winter. They play basketball in Michigan in the winter. I was going to go up there, you know, and, and I was going to... Uh, I was going to drink. 
Well, she said, yeah, you can go up there. But you're taking the boys. Well, God dang it. When she said that, I had already filled this winter coat with little bottles of schnapps. And I don't know how many I'd had before then. You know, but enough, two or three at least. I said, sure, okay. So we go up there to Ann Arbor. They don't have those wands or anything to go in at that time. And the kids went out with their friends. And we go, yeah, sure, go ahead. Go sit with so-and-so. I went up to the top of the bleachers, and between every quarter, I would go into the bathroom, I'd go into the pooper, you know, and I'd just drink. I'd finish, I'd wait till everybody got out, i put the, I put it on the bottom of the waste paper basket. And that continued. Well, I had miscalculated. There, I had five bottles, and there's only four quarters. Yeah. So I'm in the parking lot. I got this one bottle left, and I thought, maybe I better get rid of it. You know, not have any possession, you know, any, anything in there. So I made a story up to boys standing in the thing. There's fighting up there, and I need to, I'm teaching, of course, for Adrian. And I, I, I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to, they need me up there. There's a fight. So I get out, I run up around the thing, and I don't even remember getting back in the car. The blackout occurred somewhere up there when I'm drinking, and when I finished it, and I drove those two boys 45 miles in a blackout. And my, if you heard me, my sobriety date is August. That's summer. This was in winter, and... I did not know the, the depths and the thing. It did not even bother me with my own blood. I went back and continued to drink after I had scared the living daylights out of these two boys. So that's my qualification. Plus, I have another drunk driving after that, but that's beside the point. Yeah, yeah. Well, what happened? I'd like to tell you there was all sorts of things. I chose August 17th because I know... I drank on my birthday. I just know I did. You know, I, I didn't go on any long, long benders or anything like that, you know, but I know I drank. And so I, I figured about three days should be sufficient when I came back in. And I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I, I, I wish to tell you there was some huge awakening or I had this thought coming in or anything like that. It was not. In fact, I had gone in and out. You had let me come into AA three years prior. And I'm in and out, in and out, and only, only because it calmed the waters. I, I hear people saying, I was so desperate, I wanted what you want. For three years, I didn't want nothing you had. I introduced myself as Ward Cleaver. And everything's fine at the Cleaver House, thank you. That was it. I mean, that's how arrogant I was. That's that... You know, egomaniac with a low self-esteem. You know, I'm in there and until people start calling me on my crap. You know, and I just would go to a different meeting. That was it. But I don't know what happened in 1990. I think it was this simple as that. I had messed around with it for so long, and, and, and I, 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 my stomach would turn at night. I'd have trouble sleeping long periods of time. You know, up and down, up and down. And I finally surrendered. I finally surrendered. And uh, so I already knew what I was not doing wrong. And I was all in. I was all in. I had already made all my slips and all my whatever you call them. Uh, whatever. Because I was not in. I was not in. And what happened was, I was telling Charlie tonight, what happened was, 
I started to listen to what you said. I got a home group that I was loyal to. The son of a guns said to make coffee, and I, I watched you guys. I watched it, and, and you rotated every 30 days. I ended up with that ding job for nine months, and I would get pissed, and that was when them big old pots were in there, you know, and you had to be there an hour ahead because there's no way in heck you show up at those meetings without that pot of coffee done. So you're in there probably 90 minutes before because people came early. I know it sounds like a really weird concept, you know, out here, you know, but they did. They came early. Uh, you know, they came early and they stayed late in, in, in that because it was, yeah, anyway. So I did that. I don't even think I asked this guy for uh, to be my sponsor. I, I used to try, they said morning time was extremely, extremely important. So I would go to school at 5. And trust me, there is nobody there at 5 o'clock in the morning. So I thought it was quiet. I'd get up into the room. I'd start to get the, the books out. I had nice atmosphere, not just for me, but for the kids too, because I was really a good teacher. I was a damn good teacher. And uh, I'd sit there, and I'd start reading, and then all of a sudden I'd go up like this or in that, and i go, oh, what are you going to do for a reading today? What are you going to do for English? What are you going to do for science? I could not be alone at the beginning. And what did God do? He put this guy a block and a half away that I became that I became great friends and my sponsor and I would go over there and his wife would make coffee and she'd let me in you know and he'd be upstairs grumbling and he'd come back down and say what the F are you doing here and she'd go oh bud you know you like Tom coming over and I did that for five years five years you know on it and, and what a foundation, what a great way. I did not know, I had gotten, you know, at, at the beginning where I knew how to fit in. I didn't know how to fit in anymore. I did not know. I did not know how to do anything inside there. I was so inadequate at sitting down and having a conversation with somebody. I was so inadequate of trying to make a spirit-to-spirit connection with another human being. I took, I took women hostage. I just didn't. It was all about that screen. I'd watch, you know, and I'd see what you're doing, and, and, and then I'd adjust myself, you know, and, and if you were nodding your head or if you're laughing or if I listened, that's how I did it. I did not know this was an inside job. I had no clue. And not because my parents were mean or anything. I just didn't know. And they didn't know either. Some of the benefits that's happened to me is um, I retired as an educator. They even, uh, I retired as a principal, if you can believe that, in a middle school and I spent 30 years, you know, down best job I could ever had. It wasn't even on the, the horizon. It wasn't even on the horizon. Uh, my wife is still with me, you know, uh, 37 years, something like that. You better not say that. She's not going to hear this. She might. Uh, <laughs> uh, Thirty-seven deers, huh? Right? <clears throat> no. Uh, but it is, and 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 I, you've heard it. I, I don't know if I. I don't know. I won't even say it because I don't know if I had a state or not. I married a good woman, and maybe she saw something. Me, I don't know. My sons and that are are, are older. They talk to me. They, they 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 go there after even after I did that to them, you know, and put them through that total hell of of a blackout drive in a car and drunk. 
Um, I, I've retired, but I think the, one of the greatest, greatest gifts was my mom. I, I, I really pooped on my mom. I really pooped on my family. You know, big time poop. You know, and uh, we were too much alike, my mom and I. Um, I'll, get, I'll come back. Get, here we go. Um, and my mom uh, came down with cancer. And uh, one day she called up and said, um, are you still reading those books? And I said, yeah. She said, would you come and, and read them to me? And I was able to, before my mom passed away, spend, uh, yeah, spend a couple of, uh, couple of weeks reading from the literature of AA and, um, and doing that. And we, we, I don't know, probably an amends, I don't know if there's a word you can put to it, we connected. You know, all the stuff, you know, and that, and, 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 and she saw that I was sober. I had been sober for uh, about three years then, because it's 20 years ago, you know, on that. Uh, fast forward, my dad goes down to Florida, and we were coming back and forth in here. Uh, one at Christmas break, we come down here for Terry's parents. You know, their, their, her parents live out here. And uh, then on spring break, I would go to my dad's, and we'd reverse those. Well, my dad um, was getting sick, and 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 that, and, and he was um, he had to go on kidney dialysis, and it was Thanksgiving uh, coming up on Thanksgiving, and we were not scheduled to go until spring break, and I don't know what it was, and this is a feeling I'm sharing with you, a feeling come over. And I said to Terry, I said, "Hunt, I what I, I can, can I go see my dad?" Would you mind if I get a ticket here at Thanksgiving? You know, we had a little bit of a break. I'd just go down there just in case, you know, he, I had this feeling. What if he's not alive at spring break? And I went down there and I spent three days with him. Uh, I asked uh, his stepmom, my stepmom, his uh, new wife, if uh, I could be alone with him. But don't get too far away, you know. And and I got to I got to do what he did for me when I was a kid. I got to bathe him. I got to wash him. I got to help him go to the restroom. I had to help him shave, brush his teeth. I got to be there for him. What a gift. What a what a gift. You know? And so I was so grateful and I share that here because I hear sometimes in the meetings people that didn't get a chance to do that to their parents. You know, they didn't get, their parents didn't get a chance to see them. And so that is one of the biggest gratitudes I have, you know, for that. I'm going to share this with you, and then uh, this will put us right at the end. 2008, I got diagnosed with cancer myself. And um, I, uh, I, you could have knocked me over with a, with a leaf. You know, I only had one idea in my mind, you know, that was going to happen to me. It was going to be like my mom. So my book was now written, you know, and uh, I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated. Uh, But I went back to faking the outside with the inside again. You know, my outside didn't reflect that. You know, and but my inside was turning like crazy. Just... You know, but I thought I had to be there, and, and I was miserable. I was miserable. 
And I had a phone call. I was teaching one. I went back in the classroom, and I was teaching a fifth grade class. And I'd probably taken 20 of these away that year already, you know, because they're messing around with class. And I had this, not this phone, but I had my phone in my pocket, and it wasn't off. And I, and the phone rang when they came back from lunch. And, oh, did the kids have fun? Mr. C, uh, we're going to take your phone away. Uh, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went outside. And a guy from Michigan was on the end. And he said, TC, I go by TC. He said, TC, how you doing? And I bawled like a baby. That damn burst. Just burst. And all I heard him say on the other end of the line, TC, we love you. Wow. And I went back in, and I knew. I knew it was going to be okay. I knew it was going to be okay. I was red-eyed, and the kids go, what's wrong, Mr. C? I said, nothing. Everything's going to be okay. And what I want sharing that for is because you taught me the spiritual principles of this program you taught me that at one time, and God had played at Footprints now, He was there for me always. He helped me recover from a condition a, of helplessness, of body and mind, beyond human help. I had evidence that I was going to be okay in this. And whoosh, AA kicked in. AA kicked in. I knew that it was going to be okay, and I used those principles. And now what has happened to me is I volunteer, you know, over on a cancer fighter uh, at uh, cancer treatment centers, you know, of America. And I get to go over there and do exactly what we're doing here with cancer patients. We sit at tables and we share our experience, strength, and hope with each other and give them hope. And it's just like that. Cancer patients like to talk, to talk to cancer patients as much as alcoholics can get into alcoholics. And what a freaking gift. What a gift. Because now I have proof that it is a design for living that really works. And that would be the message I'd tell you. Don't put it in a box. All those words about abundant life and abundant this and a God that loves us so much. I can, I, I, maybe somebody else's, but I'm going to tell you this. It's the truth. It is the truth as I know it. And I hope that you can connect and do whatever you do as the architect of your program. And you know how he saved you from this disease. And you can use it everywhere. And I can't tell you how much I thank you for allowing me to come in and, and, and share and, and open up and be a channel. Because I don't want to be that Dead Sea. I just don't want to take what you guys gave me and put it in that Dead Sea and let it die. I want to let it outlet, you know, so that that sea lives. And you've taught me how to do that. So thank you so very much for letting me share with you. And, and uh, um, it's been an honor. Thanks. Thank you, Tom.